Today, we look at the amazing world of tintype photography, and our guide for this trip back in time is Canon Explorer of Light, Victoria Will. Hi, once again, welcome to Behind the Shot. I'm Steve Brazel, and today we have a show I am so excited for. I've been chomping at the bit to get this one actually uh, recorded on the air. We're going to talk about what I think Maybe one of the coolest types of photography. Most of us think of it as this ancient thing from the 1800s with cowboys, but that's not the case. Or, you know, old Civil War generals or something. That's not the case. Tin types are alive and well. And I'd like to welcome to the show celebrity, editorial, I don't want to miss anything here, commercial photographer. And oh, by the way, new member of the Canon Explorers of Light, Victoria Will. Victoria, how are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me. It is my pleasure to have you. There's a couple of things I want to get into with you quick. And, and we're going to start, for those of you listening to the to the podcast feed, the way that we always do, and that is a, a little getting to know Victoria uh, a, a segment. But I've wanted to have you on. We've been talking since late last year, mm-hmm. and we've gone through different shots that we could use, and we landed on the one that we're going to talk about today. But the fact that We've looked at your work, or I've looked at so much of your work, is just fascinating to me. If because you do shoot a lot of different things editorial, commercial, you know, a a celebrity. Yeah. When people come up to you, or when you meet somebody at a cocktail party and they say, Oh, what do you do for a living? How do you describe your, your world? Very good question. Very good question. It's, it is hard to put into a box or a specific category what I do. So the cocktail pitch, first I'll say I'm a photographer and then it inevitably turns to, well, what type of photography do you do? Do you shoot weddings? Do you, you know, it's sort of the people go down the list and I just sort of describe it a couple different ways. I say I'm a people photographer. So that's really the, the basis of a lot of my work is human beings. Um, sometimes I go off on tangents and I talk about how it's a mix of reportage and portraiture. Uh, you know, it really depends on, on the audience, but people are the the base of my work, you know? Okay. So I've researched you to death. Like I've watched YouTube Uh videos and all kinds of stuff. I don't know how I feel about that because I don't know what's out there. I'm glad you did your homework though. So thank you. It's all really good. Trust me. It's all really good. And I could listen to you. So there's even the the tintype stuff we're going to talk about today. There's a YouTube video Profoto did from, you know, Sundance back in 2015. I'll get into that later. But um, watching you describe or watching you work is fascinating to me but but here's the thing that really stuck out to me so you started correct me if i'm wrong on any of this because again internet of course. Right? you started out as a photojournalist before you went into celebrity editorial commercial type stuff yeah and i find that an interesting move cuz most people who get into photojournalism have a, a mental approach to why they're doing photojournalism Mm-hmm. That transition to the more business side of things, what spurred that? Uh, it's a great question because it wasn't a conscious decision. It didn't, 
I wasn't sort of, I didn't have a five-year plan, 10-year plan. I just, um, I was working in New York as a photojournalist and my bread and butter was coming from the New York Post. So if you're familiar with the New York Post, it's not exactly the in-depth, long-form reporting that I was hoping to be doing as a photographer, but I was making a living in one of the largest markets as a photographer. And so I, I couldn't turn my nose at that. I just, I, I cut my teeth there and I learned, uh, I mean, I learned everything there. It was sort of, uh, the good, the bad and the ugly, you know, and, and how to succeed in tough situations. And I did get to a point though, where I needed to grow and I wasn't going to, I wasn't growing at the post anymore. So I started freelancing and I was open to anything at that point, events or birthday parties. I mean, I was, I, I was open to anyone who wanted to pay me to take photographs. And of course I was reaching out to the people that I wanted to shoot for and the feedback I was getting, um, in terms of the assignments that people were calling me for was a mix of portraiture and a mix of sort of events and corporate work. So I I wouldn't say that it was a sort of chosen path, but I kind of just went with it. And to be honest, I didn't love shooting events. I still don't love shooting events. I've never loved working in the evening. See, I, I shoot person. concerts, so I'm out in the evening all the time. Oh, wow. But and I shouldn't say this because I just got called for an event. And if that person sees this, I, <laughs> I hate shooting events. Like put me in a photo pit at a concert and I'm in heaven. Walking yeah. around a, a group of people that are having cocktails and having conversations, taking pictures of things has never been a joy to me. But here's a, here's a question. Mm-hmm. I, think I, I think I know what I, my answer to this would be for you. Do you see your photojournalism in your work still? I do, yes. Uh, in the, in, it's a bit of storytelling. It's its own version of storytelling. Um, you know, it's sometimes it's more narrative based than other times. But even at an event, I'm, I'm telling that story. Sort of who was there, what happened, right? You know, what was who the key speakers were, who, what the relationships that were made between people when you when you are catching people with their cocktails and um, food in their mouth, food in their mouth, in-depth conversation. I mean, there's lots of ways to shoot events. I found it to be a great sort of um, stomping ground for learning lighting, particularly just with a, with a flash, you know, something portable on, on camera or handheld, but also having to walk up to strangers all the time. That is that was a huge sort of comfort zone I had to step out of. Of course, now I'm talk to everybody. I talk to people in the subway cars, in line at the grocery store. I love talking to people, but when I was in my early twenties, it wasn't. I always felt intrusive and like I was bothering someone, and sort of getting over that took some time. And I know that those events helped. See, and I'm the same way in that. So people think because I do radio and I do this and stuff that I'm really comfortable in a large group. I'm much more comfortable in small groups, Mm -hmm. but talking to random strangers is a weird thing to me. 
photographing for an arena that I photograph for where they want a lot of not just live performance stuff, but people walking around the concourse or in the VIP room. And, you know, you don't want everything to be candid. Sometimes you want a group of people to look at you and smile while they're under mm -hmm. the VIP sign or something. Mm -hmm. That changed the way I shoot actually a lot of things. But as I, it's funny because anytime I have a guest on that I don't know and I, I, don't didn't know you. Yeah, I've never met don't. you until today. Yeah. I look at their work for a really long time, like sometimes hours. Right. And what I'm looking for is common threads in their work that a lot of times the photographer doesn't even know that they've got this common thread running through all mm -hmm. of their work. A for you, I, I do see your, your photojournalism come through. That is a common thread. There is a even in your stage stuff, there is a candidness type feel to most of what you do. But I see something else. And before I say it, I'm curious. Do you see a common thread in your work? Oh, I mean, uh, sometimes, but I wouldn't say that. Okay, so for, I'm sort of thinking not, uh, I'm not thinking out loud here. So I'll start articulating when I was just thinking. There are some photographers, I think you can look at a work and you immediately know that's Platon, that's Annie, you know, it's right. just giving examples there. But uh, I don't think my work necessarily has that sort of signature to it. I wish it, I, I would like it to because I, you know, I do, I shoot fashion, I shoot, uh, uh, you know, the celebrity, the editorial, and I would like there, I would like it to be cohesive. The thread is that it's my point of view, you know, I'm, I'm putting some of myself into it, but I do right. think, um, I think I'm more drawn to work that feels more intimate, potentially. I, so I don't know where you're going to go with this as far as what, what you see, but I think I, I do try to connect with my subjects and, and, uh, on, on any level, you know, we don't have, this is not, we don't have to be best friends, but there needs to be a connection, something that is, uh, creating a bond between us, even if it's just in that moment. And, you know, it's, it's for those, the, for those five, 10 minutes, I, I'm going to really try to make sure that we are sort of living in this world together. So, so I love this. <laughs> this is why I, this is why I love doing this show because you just said exactly what I was thinking. A, you said that it's got you, your point of view and everything Two, that you just need to make a connection with the person in front of you. You don't need to be best friends, but there has to be something real. And, and here's the notes mm. that I took. Like I literally I wrote these this. down when I look at your work. <laughs> For me, the thread in your work is honesty and authenticity. That's what I wrote down. And impact. Your, your work you. has impact. Now, there's one other word I I wrote down, and I'll get into it more later because mm -hmm. it kind of needs a better description than I want to put here. Okay. Your work has, and I don't know if this will make any sense to you at all, your work has an airiness to it. Oh, okay. Now, I don't even know how to make airiness tangible to people, but- your work is honest, authentic, impactful, and it has an air, mm. like a lightness to it. 
that I love. Your work has drawn you to work for Carhartt, Levi's, Netflix, Hulu, Miller High Life, awesome. Ralph Lauren, Samsung, Amazon, AT&T, right? You've got some big clients. You mentioned The Post, but also Vogue, New York Times, mm -hmm. Rolling Stone, ESPN, right? Here's my question. Going from, by the way, you even have work. I got to ask you about this one. You have work in the permanent collection at the at the Met, the Metropolitan Museum of Art. What the heck does that feel like? Well, that is my book, uh, which is Born Back, which is my collection of tintypes. And that is still something that I, uh, I still the joy that it brings to me is it's hard to describe. I mean, it, it doesn't get old. It doesn't, it doesn't feel like, Oh, Oh, that old, that old institution. No, I think that's oh, yeah. very, uh, I'm still humbled by it. You know, it's, there's wait, what? <laughs> that's my reaction that none of those were words, but that's literally, you know, what, how I think of it. And I also just want to go back to say, I love the words that you described my work and to say thank you, because that was, um, it, it was honestly music to my ears. It's sort of, uh, I don't think I consciously go into a shoot trying to hit all of those notes necessarily, but that's the, those are sort of the, it's the fundamental place I'm coming from. So, the fact that you see that makes me feel as though I'm, I'm, you know, doing good work or I'm having success when I go out to make images. So it was fascinating to me that you basically said the exact same thing when you described it yourself. That I felt like wild. I got a test right. Your your work has <laughs> has ended up getting you a lot of awards, and and that all of this kind of leads me to wonder. You're you're a photojournalist. You make this transition. Many people are quote unquote portrait photographers, commercial photographers, etc. And yet there is that point where the client base changes. Mm -hmm. Right? The the companies that I mentioned aren't normal commercial clients for a lot of people, right? These right. are Fortune 500 companies. Was there in your memory a tangible thing? or moment, or moments that, I don't want to say cause, it's the wrong word, that you see as that transition to getting those really big gigs? Um, so I think that's two-part question, or two-part answer, excuse me. The first is, um, I'll tell you a little story where I feel like there was a true, I would, a moment in time for me where I realized, okay, I think this is sort of a, a step into the next realm or, you know, going into the next level. And then I, I'll talk a little bit more about some of the, the entertainment clients. But so many years ago at this point, I got a call from uh, the photo editor at ESPN magazine. At this point, I had been, I had a, you know, a lot of editorial clients and repeat customers. You know, it's always great when you have people who come back 
for more work. And I had been for several seasons now going to Europe for Vogue to shoot Fashion Week. So, excuse me, February and September were were the two uh, the two months, and they'd send me off, and I'd shoot dozens of shows, and it was fabulous. I mean, there was this. I had a fabulous time. It was great. I come back and I get a call from ESPN and Tim Rasmussen, who was the photo editor, called me and he said, I want you to shoot uh, next weekend or you're around. It's at Madison Square Garden. And so I'm like, have the phone to my ear, right? It's, and I'm typing and he's like, I want you to, t- to look, go to the League of Legends championship. And I'm literally like, League of Legends. I have no idea what this is. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'm free, I'm free. And he starts talking about it. And I gotta, and I say, I gotta stop you right there, Tim. I don't know what this is. <laughs> I, gotta, I just wanna be very clear uh, that this, you know, I've shot baseball, I've shot football, you know, I didn't, this was a video game championship. So I'm looking at my Wikipedia and I was like, I don't even know how this game happens. And he's like, yeah, yeah, I know. That's why I'm calling you. I want you to do what you do. I want your point of view. I want you to go to this unknown world and just have a good time. And I was like, all right, this is, this is fantastic. That was a pivotal moment for me because I think it was, I think probably many times leading up to that, people had called me for me and my opinion and my point of view, but that was the first time it was really sort of spelled out. Trust yourself, go. And at that point I thought, okay, you know, that, that little boost of confidence under my belt. And I sort of said, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to do that. I'm going to, I'm going to try my best to really believe in the work that I'm doing and not question it as often as I do, but what artist doesn't question their work? Yes. Right. They called you for a reason and it's almost like you have to trust them that they know what they're doing. Yes. Yes. Cause you know, a lot of times I get a a phone, a, a call from an editor and I say, okay, well, what are you looking for? Because as when we started this conversation, I can do a lot of different. Right things. I can do images that need to be comped together in a surreal way. I can, um, I can go in with no lights and be very low profile and, you know, or I can do the big studio, you know, there's a lot of different ways to approach every assignment. So I'm sort of want to make sure when I'm talking to an editor that I'm on the same page of, you know, what do they, what's their expectation? And in this case, he's like, I have none go. Bye-bye. I was like, okay, this is, of course, I felt more pressure in a lot of ways, in a lot of ways to show up or produce something extraordinary or iconic. And you can't do that on every shoot, but I, I had to trust that what I thought was a good idea was, was going to make for interesting imagery. And that in and of itself, to me at least, can be freeing, right? You, mm-hmm. you have, you have parlayed this, this career into being an educator as well. You've got a few classes at Creative Live, a great place. Mm-hmm. In fact, you were on their podcast with Kenna Klosterman. Uh, we mm-hmm. are photographers. You were on episode 60. I was episode 65. Uh, oh, wow. Such okay. A, it, such a great show. I miss her doing that. Yeah. 
and the biggest thing to me is this has led to this year you becoming one of the new crop of Canon Explorers of Light. So congratulations on that. Thank you. That's another one of those things up there that with the Met where you go, what? I still It's the I'm elite still, of the elite. I'm still very, very honored to, to have been asked. You're in there fun. with such great names. Yeah. You know, and, and a lot of the newer ones, like Atiba Jefferson, who's been on this mm-hmm. show before. My buddy David Bergman is a Canon Explorer. I mean, there, this is a long line and a long history yeah. of great photographers and all camera brands you know, have these. Nikon has their ambassadors and Fuji has theirs and everything. Of course. But EOL is, the EOL program is a storied program, right? So congratulations. That is, and and well, well earned and well deserved, I might add. I I told them this when they called. I sort of, I remember going to the Javits Center for the photo expo and you know nikon had their booth and canon had one everybody had a booth but they had prints up in a in a very much like a a gallery sort of area and i just remember walking through going these people are so talented so yeah it's really it's i mean something i i don't know i can't say enough nice things about it that canon's been so welcoming so and I love the fact they have a lot of female representation in the Explorers mm-hmm. of Light. You know, you, it Vanessa Joy, Lindsay Adler, the list goes on and on. So I, I have many. a question for you. Before we get into the photo, which I promise everybody, we, I, I'm starting to say this every show. Trust me, people, we'll get to the photo. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, I, I don't get to speak to people that I think are great photographers other than this show sometimes. And I love doing this. I'm curious, if you were to sum up in in a helicopter view, a sentence or two, what makes a great photo? Ooh. Ah. Um. Well, for me, I think a photo, a great photo is something that makes you feel something. So that could be a joyous feeling. It could also be terrible, you know, could deep reach into the, you know, into your chest and rip your heart out. Um, yep. So to me, that's definitely one barometer. Um, probably the most important. I think there could probably, I could probably add to that list, but it's the, the, the rest are sort of subjective. Okay. I mean, I guess it's all subjective, but that to, for for me, that's what that's what it is. I have to sort of have a a tingle, a little ping. Something has to make me stop and and question. It has something. to have impact. Yeah, impact is another word, absolutely. But it doesn't need to be, you know, impact. Coming from a photojournalism world, impact often means you change conversation, you change policies, you know, much larger sort of societal impacts. And for me, it's just so individual and it's just about the viewer. And I I want my viewer to feel something. So I mentioned when we were talking about the common thread thing. Mm -hmm. And again, I don't know if this makes any sense at all, but your photos have an airiness to them for me. Uh, And and I've thought about how to try and verbally describe that. And what I, 
the only thing I can think of is that your, your pictures have this, they have this sense of space. And I, I'm not talking about they're always shot at 15 millimeters, right? But they, even when you shoot tight, your pictures have a feeling of space, right? Mm -hmm. And I guess what I'm curious about is when you look at some of your work, how do you approach your different subjects, celebrity, commercial, fashion? How do you approach shots like these that I'm putting up on screen now and your tin types and your other types of work? How do you approach all of those different subjects? They're all connected, obviously, but those different things to bring that sense of atmosphere that you bring. Atmosphere is the word. So interesting. Well, I sort of was nodding as you were talking as though I know what you're talking about. And I do in a way, but I was going, okay, there's a, I'm listening and I'm, I'm trying to sort of think of what the practical application is. Um, atmosphere is a really interesting word. One of the things I would say is that my shoots are very organic. So I might have an idea or 10 ideas, but when it comes down to it, when the subject walks in, whomever that may be, I'm ready to take a left turn or right turn or zigzag down the road. We'll see what's happening. So a lot of it is about what's happening in that room right then. And I think I'm drawn to I'm drawn to let me think of a a, a word that feels right. I don't want to say I'm drawn to, you know, just joy because my images are not always, you know, somebody smiling, grinning ear to ear in that right. way. I think I'm so I'm trying to come up with um I don't know. I, I guess it keep, it, I, I'm coming back to, I, maybe it's just because we had this conversation, but I'm coming back to just emotion. I want, I want somebody to, I want someone's hearts to skip a beat or to, or, I mean, that's, I mean, this is a that's grand. Good. Yeah, but it's grand. You know, you can't expect that in every image, but I want that. I want someone to, or, and I can't expect that from every viewer of the photo either, but I'm trying to touch somebody and I'm trying to, so I, I, I I know this is gonna, maybe I'm taking myself too seriously, but I really care. Like I really give a shit on every, right. on every shoot, on every setup that we're doing. I want it to be, um, I want it to, I want it to feel fresh and different. I want it to, I'm sort of looking for something I haven't seen before maybe. And sometimes I'm successful and sometimes I'm not. You know, and I think, um, if I'm, I do know that when I'm shooting and I'm making a lot of this, I'm making a lot of successful images. I know I'm not pushing the boundary. I know that I'm, I've done this before. I know that I'm in a safe space. And so I have to, you know, take a, a breath and sort of say, okay, how do I push the limit here? Where does, 
where do I go from here? And I don't always have that answer. A lot of it is just exploring, climbing a ladder, getting on the floor, having, you know, putting it on the subject. Is there any, what are you feeling right now? Do you want to turn upside down? Do I just worked with this great guy who was like, I want you to throw glitter all over me. And I was like, wow, that wasn't, <laughs> that wasn't in my plan A, B, or C, but I'm so down. Um, so I'm sort of, I, again, I'm sort of thinking out loud here because I, I don't know if I have the exact way to describe it, but I, I love that you say there's an atmosphere. I think that what I like about it is that I am trying to create a little world in some way. You know, it's, this is, this is our world right here and right then. And so I think that creating, you know, creating an atmosphere makes sense because it's more than just the light and the, um, you know, the styling and the hair and makeup and, and what I'm bringing to it. It's like, it has to all fit together. It's all of yes. those pieces. Cause without each one of those things, it would fall flat. So, I mean, perfectly worded. What's interesting to me, by the way, is so I collect whiskeys. Okay, okay. Uh, you do motion work too, like you did a mm -hmm. video for Redemption Rye, mm -hmm. which you know was near and dear <laughs> to my heart. Your two so, worlds, exactly. <laughs> oh my God! It's like, oh, this is heaven. I, I'm in heaven. I am curious. I'm before we bring up this shot. One one last question, if if it's you know an easy one to answer, hopefully. Is that an easy hat change to you still? Oh, to video? such a great question. Okay. So the answer is yes, but it, the first time I did it, I was absolutely terrified. Um, so for years, people kept saying, okay, you need to get into motion. You need to do motion. If you really want to push this career, especially in the commercial world, you need to be able to direct motion because a lot of the shoots, you know, they're, budgets are getting cut and they're combining these things. And I sort of went, okay, but I'm a still photographer. I still, to this day, as a director, still believe in the power of a still image and how, and that it is, I still think the still image, it can be, and often is far more powerful than totally agree a longer, you know, long form story. That's why I do what I do. So I, I sort of get thrown to the wolves in the best possible way. Somebody who really believed in me just said, I want you to direct, uh, well, here's what happened. I got a job shooting the stills for a campaign and they said, okay, we'll get back to you with who the director is. And a week later they came back and they said, actually, we want you to do it. And I was so nervous. I couldn't eat. I could barely talk. <laughs> I was just going, but I don't know what I'm doing. And I didn't, feel comfortable walking into this campaign acting like I, like I did, you know, I can fake it till you make it. But when you're on my own set, this is somebody else's concept, somebody else's brand. So, you know, I just sort of felt this pressure. I was like dying from it. So the creative director said, look, I know you can do this. I'm going to call one of my friends who's a DP. He's terrific. He's, I'm going to have him be the DP you'll direct. And I said, you know, I'm nodding. I'm going, okay, any, whatever you need. And this DP could not have been kinder. And 
I mean, it was, it was, he was the best person for me to work with. And this is what he said. He called me and he was going, you know, what kind of gear do you want to use? This is what I'm thinking. What are you thinking? And I'm going, Max, I'm not thinking. <laughs> I can't, I'm so overwhelmed by the process and the fact that I'm so uncomfortable that I, I don't know. And he said, okay, let me tell you something. Uh, he's a big time DP. He's done, you know, huge commercials. I think he's got a Marvel movie under his belt. We're talking next level. And he said, you know, I often, as a DP, I obviously work with all, all different types of directors. I often prefer working with photographers because they have a point of view. They know what they want. They might not know how to get there in the motion world, but they know what they want and they can articulate it to me. He said, I prefer that to, you know, the, the young next Scorsese, you know, and then <laughs> the next Spielberg. Well, and it lets him, it lets, it, it lets that DP show what they can do as yes. opposed to just executing your vision. And for those who don't know, by the way, DP is director of photography. Oh yes. Yeah, sorry. Director of photography. So I, so I just said, well, you're right. I know what I want it to look like. And I can tell you if it's looking that way or if not. And he said, that's my job. I will tweak it until we're there. And I sort of said, okay, I can do this. So I show up to set and it turns out that I had been directing all along. There's no difference to me in the actual connection and eye contact and language that I use from motion to stills. Some directors sit with a, you know, they're, you know, they're listening to lines and they have their headset on and, and I have to do that sometimes, but most of the time I'm standing next to the DP holding a monitor, still having that, um, face-to-face time with my talent, because that's the, that's how I know how to direct them. Right. So that was a very long answer to say that I think it's exactly the same thing, even though the word exactly the same is redundant. And my dad would be very disappointed that I just said that, but <laughs> it is the same thing. It's just a tweak of the brain. You know, what's interesting to me though, is you said something that, you know, talking about still the thing to me about, so I don't do video but mm -hmm. I appreciate video on its own. However, when, when I've had people say to me, everything's going video. And my response is always still, it's not going to go anywhere because mm -hmm. there is something extremely unique about taking a moment frozen in time. And the, the example I tell everybody yeah. is sit down in front of CNN or whatever your news channel of choice is and try hitting pause when the anchor is talking and try and pause that moment where they're not looking like, but instead, yeah. looking nice. It's really difficult to freeze that moment in time mm -hmm. and tell a, the story that you want to tell when that person is moving. That's one of the things I love about still, but I also can appreciate the difference in, in, in motion. I, I want to get into this shot. And before we do, I just want to remind everybody that as always, this show, every show that I do for that matter, the show notes and a full blog post that I write about my guest and a small sample gallery of their work and all the links that we mention are at behindtheshot.tv. Of course, if you're watching or listening through your podcast app, it's available in audio only 
or if your podcast app like Apple Podcasts supports video, it is actually available as video in a podcast feed. And of course, I also put the, the video up on YouTube right down below the like and subscribe button. You'll also find all the links in a small description. It's not the full blog post, but it's a, it's a good section of it. So Let's get into today's image. And I mentioned at the beginning, we're going to talk about tintypes. This is a tintype of actor Sam Shepard. And when I first saw this on your site, so you and I had been going back and forth. And some of the shots that I pulled up earlier, we were going to do one of those originally. Mm -hmm. And then I said to you, you know, we, we could do something from the Born Back project that you have listed on your website. And you came back in an email and said, oh, the Sam Shepard shot. Yeah. I was talking to somebody about that or talking to somebody the other day and that shot came up. Mm -hmm. So I want to start here because there is an ethereal, ghost-like, old style type feel to this image as well. There's also a modern feel to this image as well, but it is a tintype. And for those that don't know what a tintype is, also known as a wet plate, what is a tintype? How do you describe what a tintype is to somebody that's never seen one before? Yeah, sure. So I'm going to say it in pretty pedestrian terms because that's my sort of um, the way I best wrap my head around it as well. Uh, you take a piece of aluminum and you put this concoction on it that you've made called collodion. And then you end up at that point, um, putting it in a silver bath, the silver adheres to the collodion, wherever the collodion was. And after three minutes, roughly three minutes um, for a four by five, that piece of aluminum is now light sensitive. So this is a process that predates film. So I always think of it as that I'm making a sheet of film. Uh, at, then you have to, in the dark, put it into the film holder. Then you put it into the camera, you expose your image. And then at that point, you have to take it into the dark room and develop it. The whole process has to happen while the plate is wet, which is why it's also called the wet plate process. If it starts to dry, then those uh, those areas don't come up in development or they get a, a little bit, if you start to see them dry, I have an image of um, Alexander Skarsgård and it looks very ghostly and it's because it's starting to dry. So oh. um, yeah, it's, I mean, I learned this was baptism by fire. So there are, I should say right off the bat that I'm not the, a tintype expert by any means. There are people out there who have far more expertise in, um, in the process, in the chemistry, they, they mix their own uh, chemicals and they try different, you know, they're, they're like chefs where they try different chemicals to get different colors and um, tonalities. I'm much more, I am a bit pedestrian in this process. I know obviously enough to, to shoot it. And I have to say that one of the things I love about working in this medium is making the mistakes because I have to tell you when I first saw when I first made this image and it came up I I was sort of devastated that 
there were so many artifacts. Artifacts is the name of the, is the term that they use for the mistakes. So where all the silver on the image has um, made, you know, it's these lines and dots and smudges. I sort of went, oh God, I'm, I just admire Sam Shepard as a human. So I really wanted to capture something. And I thought, oh man, I messed up the plate so much. And then of course, cut to now I'm, I'm grateful for those things. Those are exactly why I love the image so much. And I, and it's this sort of looking back at it now, I can't imagine what this image would be without it. I think that's what makes it so special. This was one of the ones you shot at 2015 Sundance, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. So the 2015 Sundance, there's a YouTube video from Photo that, or actually I think it's from Feature Shoot, where... Uh, you know, there's one with pro photo oh, yes, where, yes. you know, you're, you're talking to Robert Redford and you're doing the shoot and, and we'll get into the lighting mm-hmm. in a minute because you're watching some of these celebrities be blinded. We'll talk about that when we get <laughs> to lighting here in a second, but sure. in the feature shoot video where mm-hmm. you're like standing on stage and talking, you tell a story of, you actually tell two stories. I, I want you to kind of recap here. Sure. One of them is what you just said. And that is that there are people out there that quote unquote are experts at tintypes and they in some ways were giving you crap about those artifacts. When I told you in the green room before we recorded that before I watched those videos, I had all kinds of notes in my head of what I was going to talk about on this shot because I'm thinking these are light leaks Uh in that old Uh style camera. And then I saw that video and went, oh, they're chemical artifacts. Okay. That makes sense. Well, some of the the big tintype people were were commenting on your yeah. quote unquote mistakes. But then oh, you yeah. also tell the Anne Hathaway story, which if you don't remember, I'll I'll because it's been 2015 that you were in that video, which is where she came in and the the publicist or something her didn't want her to do something. No. Yeah, yeah. So so tell tell us these. Sure. Well, I can retell. Um, I mean, I can tell you sort of the story of, of how this happened quickly, because obviously I can talk about photography for days and those people listening out there don't have days, so I'm gonna shorten it for you. Basically, I decided that I wanted to make tintypes at this festival. I had done the digital studios there for many years, so I understood exactly how the flow of the of the festival went and the, the hectic nature of it and how you're dealing with publicists and huge casts and. It's a whole circus unto itself. So I also was on assignment for the Associated Press at the time, and I was still doing digital photographs. I was still there on assignment doing what they asked. And then I would say, after I we did our group photo and the individuals, I'd say, okay, if anyone would like to have a tintype made, I have a studio in this back corner of a ski shop <laughs> where, and so they had cleared out all the skis and that's where we, I put a, a, a background and a V flat against a wall. And we had a little closet that was our dark room and I had never made tintypes before. So I was, I got, I, I convinced some loving human beings <laughs> to come with me on this adventure. And we just, you know, went, went for it and we learned as we went and 
that being said, I of course had done research. I had all of chemistry there. I, you know, I had, I knew what I was supposed to do, but practical application had not happened until the night before when I was mixing chemistry. And um, so we, we end up starting this process go, going on this journey. And I thought, okay, if I get 10 nice tintypes, that would be a beautiful body of work that I would feel very, you know, I'd be thrilled about. And because I really felt like it could be something special. Who doesn't want to, you know, we we're, we see these familiar faces all the time. What is it going to be like to see them with this process from the 1860s? So anyway, the first day they were published, the, the tintype purists were not thrilled. They, I mean, they really raked me over the coals. I don't actually read comments. I, I, as a, I'm too sensitive and I just don't do it. But my husband was over there and the rest of my crew is going, yeah, it's not looking good. <laughs> and I was like, well, I, I can't ha put 20 years of experience under, you know, under my belt here right away. I'm just going to keep going. I'm going to put my head down and do the best I can. I also had seen the work of Sally Mann, whose work is very similar in its technical flaws, obviously different subject matter. She's Sally Mann. She's a legend. Um, but she just sort of owned it. And I said, okay, I'm just going to own it because I really believe in it. Um, but that was a hard thing to sort of had to, to put on that armor and be like, I'm just not going to care because I do but, care. But here's the thing, because this is interesting to me. I understand purists, right? And I try not to read comments. Unfortunately, I do because Steve's brain is weird and I get the weirdest <laughs> comments on YouTube sometimes and, and, and I'm not going to lie. They hurt. Like I'm, mm -hmm. everybody says, Oh no, it's YouTube. Just ignore it. I'm like, you don't understand. I, I have to read it and it, I, I do take them personally, but these artifacts, right? These quote unquote mistakes are what make this body of work to me. I've seen a million tintypes and they're all tintypes and they're amazing but I've also seen a lot of great portraits that are portraits, right? It's what you were talking about before that you want an image to speak to you. Yeah. Those don't. I mean, I see five of them and I'm done. Mm -hmm. Every one of these is this unique piece of art, which is, you mentioned it earlier, your Born Back book, which was 2017. It's still available, mm -hmm. peanut, peanutpressbooks.com. Mm -hmm. uh, and the link is in the show notes for, for the book if you want to buy the, the, the Born Back book. But to me, that's what makes these shots, right? I mean, I think it's, so. it's that I mean, uniqueness. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I really, um, so I can tell you the, the Anne Hathaway story was just that, so she came in, um, you know, with, as each talent does with their publicist and her publicist said there's we can't have any individual shots of Anne. it's only going to be her and all of her castmates and i said okay as i always do smile nod sure i'm going to follow the rules and then <laughs> i sort of i asked everyone else i said do you want to make a tintype and i had them all laid out because at this point tintype wasn't a as well known a, a term or you know the, the, the process um if you knew the process you were probably in the photo world so if you're not familiar with it. What are you talking about? So I had them there to show people. And Anne Hathaway said, well, I want to do one. And I said, well, great. 
let's do this. And her publicist said, no, because I don't have control of where this image goes, which is a, an issue in working with the Associated Press, um, which is, you know, that's a whole other, that's a whole other podcast. We'll go down that another yeah, time. Exactly. But, uh, and I just looked at her and I said, it's absolutely up to you. I would love to have you do it. And she said, yeah, I have to do this as a human because these are, you know, these are lovely and I, I need one of myself. So we did, we did it and she loved it and I loved it. And I, 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 I don't have any of my own work up in my house because it's always been a little bit weird, but I had a platinum palladium print made of the Anne Hathaway one. And I have it hanging in my house because I still I love it. So I just realized I forgot to describe this shot to people. Oh. Uh, so for those of you on the audio feed, let me, and by the way, I should ask, did she like it? The end result? She did. She did. She loved it a lot, but I think she went into it knowing that it, 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 it's not, it's, it's unusual there. It's especially if you're a woman, I say this, um, to everybody, it's not, it ages you a bit. It, and because of the UV process and so not every woman likes to see themselves, you know, in 10 years right. or the freckles that are hidden under our skin, it, it picks those things up. And it, and so some women were, you know, don't love it. And I don't, especially if you're really particular about putting, you know, about your image and putting it out there in, in the entertainment world, I understand it's not for everybody, but if you were sort of in on this project was, which was exactly, that was the point. Who am I under right. these circumstances? And, Anne Hathaway was one and uh, Maggie Gyllenhaal, who's actually on the, the cover of the book. She came back several times as did Glenn Close because they said, wait, I want to do another one. Let's, you know, uh, but what's interesting, I didn't mention this, but I'll, I'll say this quickly before you go into describing it is that I had the opportunity to only shoot one plate of everybody because that's just the time that exists at Sundance. So one plate and then everyone's off. Sometimes they didn't even stay to, to see it develop. Sometimes they did. But the few plates that I have uh, where I have multiple plates of, of the same person is because they came back, which was, that's when I sort of went, wow, you know, this, I, I was sort of onto something here because it, it feels fresh and it feels um, creative so much so that people are taking time out of their day to come participate. So that felt like, oh, um, that, you know, that, that we were on to something in this strange circus that is the world of Sundance. It's, it's old becomes new again. And there's one, one of my favorite ones, and I, I'm pretty sure it slashes hands mm -hmm. is just, yeah. I saw that shot and I knew I don't, did you? Did you? Oh yeah, that slashes that. hands. Oh my god! Yeah. And it's it, I. It's so hard to describe the feeling when when I saw that. It's going to be difficult to describe a tin type verbally. Now I understand for everybody who watches this show, I say that every show that it's going to be hard to do because it is hard to put a picture into words. But here's the deal: there's not quote unquote a lot in this to describe. Right? There's no trees in the background. There's no waterfall. You know. Mr. Shepard is not standing on a bridge. It's nothing like that. It's a portrait. It's a portrait on a dark background of a guy 
just done in the most amazing way. So here's what I want you to picture for those of you driving or or on your, uh, you know, listening on an audio only feed and be aware the picture is at behindtheshot.tv or of course you can also see it in, in the YouTube video if you want to go see it there. But picture those old time black and white photos from the 1800s. You know, the ones where it would be Billy the Kid, right? It, it, that's the tintype. Or the old, um, you know, uh, uh, Civil War generals is a good example. It's portrait orientation, and the subject of the picture is the actor Sam Shepard. It's a close-up shot. It's chest up, like just below like his jacket pocket, all the way up to his head, and it goes beyond his head. His head is actually about center frame. And he has turned about 45 degrees camera left. And here's what's cool. He's looking down as though he's in deep thought. And for some reason, because of the artifacts, I don't know that this picture would have worked anywhere near as well, except for those artifacts, because his head is down and he has this white hair, right? And he's wearing a black shirt, I'm assuming it's black. It's black and white. In in the black and white tintype, it comes out as black. A pinstripe jacket, thick black rim glasses, right? And the way I thought of this originally was there are light leaks, like an old camera has light leaks everywhere. Now I know it's not. It's chemical issues. So the chemical smeared, think of it that way. So Sam Shepard's hair smears off of his forehead, at the front of his head, all the way to the top of the frame, and off the side of his head, and that goes to the upper left corner of the of the frame. The back of his head smears almost all the way up to the right corner of the frame, which is creating, in this old style, you're creating these geometric shapes of triangles. That smear that goes from the side of his head above his ear to the upper right corner of the frame creates a, a triangle with the other smear at the top. It also creates a, a triangle of black over his left shoulder. There is another triangle in front of his face that goes down his right arm to the edge of the frame up to the other smear. The, the composition on here probably, I mean, this could be accidental or it could be intelligent. It doesn't matter to me. It just works. I even thought maybe he moved to create these blurs. But again, now we know what it is. The edges of the frame have this kind of uh, a burned edge look to it. And that's the tintype. Again, here's what's interesting. There's not a lot in here from, you know, foreground, midground, background, pose. This just works on so many emotional levels. Like because of those artifacts, I also get a different feeling, I think, of what's in his head mm. than I would if those artifacts were not there. Did I miss anything? Mm -hmm. No. Well, I you uh, no, you did not. I'll just add that the, the bottom right frame has these um, streaks. streaks that go the opposite direction of his pinstripes, which I've always loved. Yes. And they're just yes. there. I mean, I couldn't, you couldn't make this twice if you tried. So, uh, the and what's interesting, and everything. It, so he put his head down. Shooting tintypes was fascinating experience and his, uh, or 
and I still do it to this day, but it, it changed my approach to portraiture because I had in the Sundance entertainment editorial world, I often just, am, I shoot, shoot, I'm shooting digital and I'm just keep going because I have such limited time and I'm trying to get as many options as possible. Because I only had the opportunity to shoot one, I had to slow down. I had to slow my direction down. And you know how if you're shooting digitally and somebody, they're not quite where you want them, but you shoot through it because you don't want to say, mm, that's not working. Let's try something else. Because that's not great for anyone's confidence, obviously, right? So you just sort of say, okay, I'm going to click. Oh, this is great. Let me just, but let's try this. Okay, got this. Let's move on. I mean, I'm just sort of um, ad-libbing how that might go. With this, I had to, I remember thinking to myself, if I don't open my mouth <laughs> and say exactly what I need the right way, I'm not going to get the picture that I want. And so I remember, I kind of wanted him to look at me because I just, that's what I thought I wanted. And he sat down and I sort of, and I, and he was very quiet and we're in this back room and it's me, the, um, the two, the, you know, my assistants that are helping me and the, if there's not enough space for a publicist or anybody. So we're just, he's just sitting against a wall and it's music, but it is very intimate. It's very close. And I said, just make yourself comfortable. The one, the most important thing is I, is please don't move after I focus because, you know, all sorts of things were going wrong. The, uh, these artifacts are coming because of cross-contamination and I've just, I'm not cleaning my plates the right way. I'm dipping, I mean, there's just chemical uh, contamination all over the place. Turns out that's great, but, <laughs> you know, I, at the time I'm going, okay, nobody move. So if you, if you wouldn't mind, please just stay there. But he, so, but he looks up at me and I focused and then he looked down again and I didn't have the courage to say, okay, I need to take three more minutes or, you know, three more seconds to look under here and refocus. So I just went with it. And I'm so glad I did because it was, you know, sometimes Sham, Sam Shepard knows better <laughs> than I wow. do. So that, yeah. that actually is an interesting key point of this is, you know, especially since the focusing is, is a rather you know, complex thing. This is a, uh, how do you pronounce it? Graflex? Graflex? Graflex. Graflex Super D. Uh, yep. This is a camera from between 1941 and 1963. I actually mm -hmm. looked it up. What lens was this, by the way? You know what? This actual, this can't, this one, this particular image wasn't with the Graflex. This Is this the Sinar? Yes. With a modern lens. So I, so I, the, on depending on who I was shooting and actually I, I shot this project, um, over two years. So the second year I brought the Graflex, I didn't have the Graflex at this point. So I'm glad you mentioned that. Um, so I, I do have some lenses that are older, but this particular image was made with a modern lens that was double coated. So what that means is because there's a code, another UV coating, or, or you know, there's a, UV coating on it, it doesn't allow in as much light. So I was blasting light. I had a beauty dish, I mean, right out of frame, which is one of the reasons why he lowered his head because he knew there was gonna be a very large pop of light. Um, and that 
you know, that all those choices led to what this image is. But it's so interesting now with a Graflex, I can move. This was on a tripod, you know, so I'm working slowly and I find these types of, you know, anytime I have to work on a tripod is just cumbersome and slows me down. And the Graflex, I can be much more handheld and, and um, adjust and bounce around. So this was an entirely uncomfortable way to work. Do you remember like what the, what your uh, uh, you know millimeter was? What your focal length I was? You know, I'm trying to think if I have it back here. Um, I think it was ballpark. I'm gonna ballpark it, um, and then I'm gonna go look it up or, or go get it out of the <laughs> and tell you. But I want to say it's the equivalent of a fifty. Okay. Which would, but that's completely different in. And then I what about shutter aperture? Like hundred minute. Okay, so that was the that lens I think was a five six. Okay. Um shutter? Shutter you know? didn't matter. Shutter doesn't matter because I'm the Oh, because you're just I, taking the the cover off. Ex exactly. Okay. I'm just taking the so, cover off. But yeah. The ISO is the interesting one. Yeah. Because this is where the nightmare comes in. Again, you mentioned, by the way, you have to develop these really, really quickly, but explain when you're shooting this type of a camera, the the ISO nightmare. So generally speaking, the the collodion, you know, when you have this these plates, the the ISO is rated around one to two. Some people say zero to two, you know. So we're talking you need a lot of light. What was fascinating is that I knew this, except I, I still, it was still so new to me that when we first got to Sundance, I had an ice fishing tent because I didn't know if I was going to have a dark room. And, I, and I'd heard that people had made them in ice fishing tents. And I was like, okay, this is going to be genius. So I set up this little ice tent to do some tests and I could see these tiny little lights, like uh, little holes in the ice fishing tent. So I'm gaff taping them up. And now in retrospect, I'm like, there's absolutely no way <laughs> that those would have affected it because of the way the ice fishing tent is basically black duvetine and whatnot. You should have seen me like gaffing each little thing. And it's just not that light sensitive. It needs to be in there for a really long period of time to, to get any of that. Um, but I didn't know any of that. It was these hilarious mistakes are... Well, it's how I got here. It's how I grew. But uh, the ISO requires you to to use a ton of light. So, and and light that's um, well. Let me let me just say this: if you look if you look at tin types that you've seen at a antique show or you know at a, a antique store and whatnot, a lot of those were traditionally used hot lights or the sun, right? So people were holding still. And it would be, you know, eight seconds or eight minutes, depending on if it was a cloudy day or how many hot lights they were using. I'm using strobe. I was like, I don't know what's happening. I didn't, I, I knew that I needed a lot of power, but I didn't know um, what that was gonna mean. I do now. I know that it, I generally take, um, 
two packs, 2,400 watts or more. And then I will get some bi-tubes so I can use one light and put both the power of both packs into the one tube. And that's what I did. And I had it really, really close to him. So it was quite a learning curve, this this one, this this trip. So that that video I mentioned earlier that's on YouTube that Profoto did at, at Sundance of you doing these with all the, the stars. And you make a comment in that video that I that really struck me because I I I think it struck me because I know that's what I would have done. And that is that when people knew that you were doing tintypes and saw one and knew what it was, that when they sat down, they felt like they were in a civil war video, then they needed to be formal and that Mm -hmm. you had to break that. And you did something Mm -hmm. interesting. You put a bunch of photos on the wall right next to the stool that they were sitting on. In fact, Robert Redford in this video sits down and goes, oh, these are nice. (laughs) Which, Which, A, was really cool in and of itself that he seemed so, you know, natural and real because mm-hmm. let's be honest, these people sit in front of cameras by amazing photographers oh, all yeah. freaking day every day. Yeah, that's the intimidation factor for me. What was the what was the idea of the photos on the wall next to them? So I should say that none of those photos were mine. It was all inspiration photos for me. Oh. And I thought okay. I do, you know, if I did it again, I might include some of my own now, but I picked photos that I felt I thought they were inspiring to me would be inspiring to a person sitting there. And it was um, a lot of different type of gestures and poses, but things that are also need to be still, you know, there was no jumping. There was no sort of like grand, um, there are no grand gestures. So I am a visual person. I assume a lot of these creatives that I was, photographing are as well. And I just thought, you know, something will resonate with them. And it, it worked. It also helped, helped me. I mean, I would, if I was getting stuck, I would sort of look up and say, oh yeah, that's a good, something. Here's an example. Maybe there's a photo uh, that has nothing to do with anything, but it's a person and the photo, the photographer's clearly on the ground you know, it's a very low angle. So that's just a quick reference for me to go, oh yeah, Victoria, don't forget to try getting on the ground. Don't forget to try going up high. You know, it's a, it has to be one of these like quick reads, but that was, that's what I did. But I also sort of, and I was, yeah, I mean, I had Avedon up there, Irving Penn, um, not Sally Mann, but um, Sarah Moon, Deborah Turberville. I mean, I just had a lot of the classics, just like some of the greats, well, it's like so many people do those books for themselves at home mm-hmm. and you're just putting it in front of your subjects, which I think is a great idea, but, but sort you're still directing, board. you're directing some of the best actors in the world, some mm-hmm. of the best actors ever to exist. Mm-hmm. People who do this all the time and mm-hmm. even they, while they know how to pose in front of a camera, can sometimes phone it in, right? Mm-hmm. How, what are you doing I mean, is there a sentence that you say to people to loosen them up and make them feel more comfortable? Oh, no. I mean, I don't think I, no, there's not one phrase that sort of works for me. I don't think. Okay. Um, I, 
it's it's just about reading the room. But here's the thing about, you know, if you have a phrase or a sentence or a go-to that works, then use it. But for me, if I was relying on that, it would mean that I wasn't present. And the, what I mean by that is that when I, I remember being earlier in my career, particularly just being very nervous. And so I would rely on some of those things. And sometimes I would ask someone, you know, a question, where are you from? How many kids do you have? And then they'd answer. And then I was so elsewhere in my brain, nervous that I wouldn't listen to the answer or they would say it and I would nod. And then I would not remember. And that was just a sign to me that I wasn't present. My brain was moving too fast. I was worrying about the wrong things. So I really try to be present when that person is there, meaning my light's already set up. I'm not tweaking. And if I am tweaking, it's my my lighting director or my assistant who's tweaking because he knows you know, the person sat over three more feet. So he's just going to move the light over without asking me because he knows what right. we're, what we're trying to achieve. So it's a follow spot basically at that point. Yes, it is. <laughs> exactly. So here's, here's the deal though. As cool as these are, I'm showing it on a computer. You took these uh -huh. tintypes, which are aluminum yeah. yeah, and you scanned them into a computer. You converted yes. them to digital. When you convert them, other than whether or not you need to color correct the scan, because depending on the scan, you know, you're not going to drum scan these because you can't bend them. You're going to flat right. scan them. And if you're going to flatbed scan these, there, you know, a lot of flatbed scanners introduce greens or whatever into it. Are you doing any post work on these digital files or not? Yes, um, I am. I'm trying to get them to feel the way they do in your hand. And it's a, it's, you can get close, uh, but I think it's very challenging. It's it's just never the same as holding it. Um, the reason is because the silver has a bit of a, it's 3D. It has a, you know, you're looking at it and it and it reflects light in different ways when you're holding it. Uh, and of course, this, you lose that in the scan. I think we, right. my publishers at Peanut, we worked really closely uh, with our printer up at Meridian to try, we tried different glosses on papers. We tried adding metallics. Oh yeah. We tried all sorts of things to see what actually made it feel like holding it because that's such a personal experience. Um, and what we found was that, you know, you, you can, you can't do it perfectly, but you can get very close. But I, yes, there are greens. There are sometimes um, tons of dust if you're not careful. And so of course I'm cleaning up all the dust because it just wants to stick to, I mean, there's a, it's, it's an imperfect process, uh, but I think we came um, pretty close with, with the book. So well, I will say, and again, link to the book in the show notes at behindtheshot.tv but I will say the results are spectacular. So thank, thank you. you for coming on and and talking about the making of of this shot and all the the tin my, type stuff and pleasure. all of your work is so good. Before we finish, speed round. Mm -hmm. I'm going to ask you a question. Just throw out an answer as quick as you can. 
I'll try. You know, I'm, I, you know, everything. <laughs> I'm not quick. My answers, as you've learned. That's okay. Quick, quick as, quick as, yeah, quick as you can as a variable. You got it. Okay. Your top photography tip. Uh, start. Show up. Do the work. Got to oh, get like started. That. Yeah. Don't that, don't good. get it. You know. Don't tomorrow your life away. Your top tip for staying creative. Um. Top tip for staying creative. Um, yeah, going out into the world, going into museums, going to movies, going to, in, getting into books. Consume, yeah. Biggest photo mistake you made or almost made? Oh my Lord. How long do we have? Um, <laughs> <laughs> biggest photo mistake. I feel like I blacked them all out. But I know there's a lot. Um, I'll just say I said this a little bit. Um, you know, shooting for yourself, no trusting yourself. Don't make pictures you think other people want to see. You have to make them because you want to see them. Favorite composition rule, if you have one. Hmm. Definitely don't. I would say, um, yeah, trust your gut. That's not a composition rule. It's throw all the rules out the window and trust your gut. Actually, trust your gut should be a composition rule. It actually should. Favorite band or performer? Oh, holy cow. There's so many. Um, favorite band right now. Uh, I just saw Nathaniel Rateliff in the Night Sweats. Awesome. Um, favorite performer. I mean, I have no idea. Let me think. I mean, I might have to say Garth Brooks in the 90s. <laughs> oh, okay. Just going to throw that out there. No, it works. That totally works. <laughs> Favorite drink? Uh, spicy margarita. Ooh, I like that. Some tahini on the rim. Yes. Uh, favorite movie or TV show? <sighs> okay, just saw The Bear. Finish The Bear. I think it's excellent. Um, as a TV show, second only to The Wire, as far as television and the history of. Favorite movie. Um, wow. I mean, Bull Durham and Shawshank Redemption. Ooh, good picks. Shawshank is a classic to me. If Shawshank classic. comes on, I'm... you can't keep changing channels, actually. Right. Last question. Mm. Is there any photographer out there that you think more people should know about? Oh, I got so many. Um, photographers out there that people should know about that don't know about them. Um, well, yeah, you should go to my Instagram and you should go to the people I follow because I follow a lot of them. Um, I love, I'm trying to think of people who are sort of maybe not household names. Dana Scruggs is fabulous. Um, Benedict Evans is fabulous. Oh, I have so many. I, I can't. That's good. I've got. That's a, good. I, I'm constantly inspired by uh, colleagues and friends on Instagram. So I like that. We got two. I will put their links in the show notes at behindtheshot.tv and also in the description on uh, YouTube. So you'll be able to to find right. those there. 
Victoria, I cannot say thank you enough. Everything, links, images, a bit I wrote about Victoria, they're all in the blog post at BehindTheShot.tv. If people do want to reach out to you, those watching on video, I've been putting lower thirds up. But for those that are on the audio feed, what's your website? VictoriaWill.com. Okay. Just W-I-L-L. And then social media? At Victoria Will. Super simple. Okay. That makes it really, yeah. really easy. And then actually Twitter is VWillPhoto. And again, oh, yes. all of them Twitter's are, are Photo. in the show notes. Thank you very, very much. I really appreciate you doing this. Thank you. And I, you know, I know we, it was, it took us a minute to connect on a date and I had had a baby and it was just, we, thank Congratulations, you for Congratulations, by the way. Oh, thank you. But thank you for, for your patience and for all of your insightful questions. I, I feel like I could talk to you for hours. So this is I appreciate fun. it. Hopefully someday we'll get a spicy margarita. That would be great. Yes, please. Yeah, I, I may go get one right now. It's summertime. I can, <laughs> I'm allowed to do that. I'm at home. Thank you very much to my guest this time around, Victoria Will. As always, the show notes are over at the website, behindtheshot.tv. Find this episode or whatever episode you're looking for. The entire back catalog is there with links to everything that you need. And you can you know click any of the links you need there as well in the show notes over at uh, YouTube in the description down below. Also for YouTube, there are always chapters. So if you want to jump back to a certain section, feel free to do that as you need. And again, thank you to everybody that's watching or listening to the podcast. I appreciate your support. If you could drop a review in Apple Podcasts or wherever you're getting the podcast, it would be much appreciated. Throw a thumbs up and all of that type stuff on, on YouTube as well. Join us next time as we try and get inside the mind of a great photographer by taking a closer look behind the shot. <laughs> <laughs>